I thought, oh, this will be so easy. This is going to be so great. I kind of thought it was just going to come natural and I wasn't going to be stressed about it. But we actually had some some struggles. <laughs> I thought everything was going to go wonderful. I thought it was going to be smooth. And it wasn't for us. It was insane. I was, I was a cyborg. I was a cyborg mom. Welcome to Lifespan. I'm your host, Jackie Wolf. On Lifespan, you'll hear stories about healthcare. Each episode is bound by a common theme chronic illness, substance abuse, accidents, depression. The topics will keep coming. Every story is deeply personal. Some suggest better ways to communicate with healthcare providers. Other stories describe the lessons learned by patients. But perhaps most importantly, each story teaches us something about the American healthcare system. We hear it all the time. Breastfeeding is the most natural thing in the world. But as you learn from these stories, today's breastfeeding mothers are running into problems. With women often returning to work shortly after giving birth, fully breastfeeding an infant can be hard. And with a new mother's own mother living far away, help and advice are no longer at women's fingertips. And to compound the difficulties, breastfeeding like birth has become medicalized. The medicalization of a physiological activity creates its own unique problems. Nevertheless, the mothers we talked to found breastfeeding worth it despite the difficulties they encountered. Rather than giving up, they found solutions. Sarah Rubin is a cultural anthropologist. She studied childbirth and mothering for years, but her academic focus on postpartum depression and the medicalization of motherhood did not prepare her for navigating the healthcare system as a pregnant woman and new mother. She recently gave birth to a baby boy. Two minutes before midnight on June 28th, 2016. And it took being a mother to really edify the expert. I had gone to the hospital for the tour and was really happy with the ethos of the hospital. And they really talked about things that they do to make sure that women are successful breastfeeding. So I felt really confident that they would leave me alone during labor, which they did, that they would support me trying to give birth naturally, which they did, and that I wouldn't have to deal with any shenanigans like the baby being in the warmer instead of on my chest or the baby being given sugar water before breast milk or any of the things that I had heard about happening or had read in, in you know books about medicalized childbirth. So I was feeling really confident about that. And in fact, you know, he was put on my chest immediately and sort of hung out there. And I was planning on, you know, waiting for him to initiate breastfeeding. And after maybe an hour or two, I don't know, I, I it's a little bit hazy, but I don't know if he was really rooting, but I, I was like, well, should we do this? You know, it's like three in the morning. And so my doula was still there, my husband, and, and there was the labor nurse who was, you know, cleaning up and supervising me or whatever she was there to do. And so we, we started to kind of like gently nudge him to my breast. I remember vividly putting him on my breast and struggling with that. But I don't remember if he cried or fell asleep or, you know, what that situation was. But I, I remember it was really hard to get him to, like, latch on my breast. So we were, like, trying to shove my nipple in there. And he would kind of suck twice and then it would fall out and he would probably cry. And so I remember feeling kind of like a kernel of panic <laughs> that it wasn't working. The term latch takes on a whole new meaning when you're a new mother. So for you, it became, latch became a huge issue, didn't it? He was on my breast. I remember super clearly his mouth was on. He'd suck. My nipple would fall out. That happened three times. The nurse said, let me get something for you. 
And she comes back with this nipple shield, which, you know, is um, like a it's almost like a pacifier that you stick onto your nipple. It has a hole in it and they suck this piece of plastic and it pulls your nipple through and sort of molds it into like a big, thick platonic ideal of a nipple. And then the baby ostensibly can like suck it easier because it's bigger. So she's like, oh, your nipple is too small. You know, it takes a while for it to sort of like get pulled out. So this will help you. And then, you know, the baby, of course, licks the plastic and wanted nothing to do with it. So then she comes with a syringe of sugar water that she puts in his mouth to get him to suck. So then I have my nipple in a piece of plastic my the person in me is like don't give my baby sugar while i was like desperate to get him to latch onto my breast and here was the nurse saying like this is how we help you the next morning when the lactation song came in they were totally fine with it and, they, and i was like how do i get my baby to not need this stuff oh you can wean him off of it later once he establishes a pattern watching that nipple fall out of his mouth was bad enough but being handed a piece of plastic and a syringe filled with sugar water. That was my first moment where I was told that like my mothering, my natural body was inadequate and it just got worse from there. The next morning, the lactation consultant came and watched me feed him for like a minute and pronounced him the best feeder in the ward. And I remember like laughing and, and, you know, joking how proud I was or, you know, joking about his competitiveness or something. But inside I was like, there's no possible way he's doing this best. Like this is not good. And I don't know how I knew that. And I don't know exactly what I was thinking, but I, I know that I kept calling the lactation consultants and they would come in and watch me do it and pronounce it fine and leave. During her hospital stay, Sarah kept thinking, when I get home, this is not going to work. And sure enough, her breastfeeding difficulties continued. The first night at home, I was like sitting on the couch, like with the baby, like screaming. And my husband just sitting there being like, what do I do? He would like suck for a couple times and then either cry or fall asleep. And I was feeding him all day on demand, but it never really felt like he was eating enough. But I knew that, that kind of insecurity is part of the breastfeeding experience or whatever. But I just kept thinking, you know, when I left the hospital, they were like, you know, here's our card. We have a hotline. Call any time. And I remember telling the woman, like, this isn't working. Like, I can't get him to latch, blah, blah, and like ex explaining what I did. And there was, not, there was nothing she could do. All she said was, well, we have like an outpatient clinic and you can see a lactation consultant. So I made an appointment to go there. But in the intervening three days, Will got really jaundiced and ended up in the NICU. So I remember just feeling like I need someone to sit here and watch me for like five hours to not just see me in the middle of him sucking. If Sarah had observed other women breastfeeding over the years, she might not have felt that she needed someone observing her for five hours. She would know what she needed to do and what her baby needed to do. What people don't realize is, among all primates, human and non-human, breastfeeding is not an instinctive activity. It's a learned activity. And even um, great apes 
that are raised in zoos, if they haven't observed other great apes breastfeeding, they don't know what to do after their baby's born. They literally need to observe each other, which is why in our culture, it's such a private activity, which I don't think it should be. Um, but women don't get to observe each other doing it. So it, it really is a struggle to figure out how to, how to do it. Finally, desperate, Sarah called a La Leche League leader. La Leche League supports breastfeeding mothers and holds regular meetings in almost every community in the country. Its designated leaders are experts who are at the ready to answer mothers' questions about breastfeeding. And I was literally on the phone with her, giving her directions to my house, when the doctor called from my pediatrician's office and told us we had to take Will to the emergency room because his bilirubin levels were like at a critical level. And so to me, that was like, it was like, I ended up in the emergency room with Will in the NICU for three days. And and that was that moment where I finally was going to get someone to sit next to me and help me with breastfeeding, you know. And to make her situation even more surreal, Sarah's milk came in while she was driving behind the ambulance, taking her newborn son to the neonatal intensive care unit. While all mothers have milk in their breasts before and immediately after birth, it's not mature milk. It's colostrum, a nutrient-rich fluid that babies consume in teaspoonful amounts, and it's loaded with immune and growth factors that fight infection and encourage tissue repair. Liquid gold, some pediatricians call it. Mature milk comes in about 72 hours after birth. So Sarah arrives at the hospital with her breasts full. They got me hooked up to the pump, and they were super supportive, and they, you know, helped me figure out the pump. <laughs> but, they were, but what are we being supportive of now, right? Is that breastfeeding? I was breastfeeding with a machine. So your baby is in the NICU with severe jaundice. You are, you are hooked up to this electric breast pump. Everyone is being very supportive, but as you just described, what is it they're supporting? Yeah. So then I pumped very successfully while he was under the lights. And of course, it was a horrible three or four days. And he had a double exchange transfusion. And he was really sick. And this was my new baby. And I was just devastated and so worried that he would have permanent damage. I was text messaging with a La Leche person who almost made it to my house to help me. And she's like, don't let them give your baby a bottle, blah, blah, blah. The La Leche League leader didn't want Sarah to give her baby Will a bottle because the league leader wanted to prevent nipple confusion. Bottles and breasts respond completely differently to a sucking infant. When a baby is given a bottle, the milk is in his mouth the minute he starts to suck. With the breast, it takes about 20 seconds of sucking, an eternity compared to the instant gratification of a bottle, before the breast releases milk. So if a breastfed baby gets a bottle too young before about five weeks, he can become impatient with the breast and begin to refuse it. I was like so tired and I just thought, oh, just one bottle will be fine. At least it's my breast milk. He got a bottle that night and the next night. But when I was there during the day, as soon as he was out of the lights, I would start, I started to try to breastfeed him again. And it was just as hard and he fought it. And it was so stressful. And I was so unhappy. You know, when I went home, I started going to the outpatient lactation consultant. But then again, even though she was incredibly kind and competent and all these great things, you know, it was at an office. It was basically like at a doctor's office with a couch. So 
I had to do everything, me and the baby had to do everything we were going to do in that hour that we were with her in this artificial environment. And then I had to sort of translate that when I would get home. And he would do all sorts of things in the office that I couldn't get him to do at home. So the baby's hungry. And also I'm supposed to feed him before he gets hungry because that's one of the advice that the lactation people give you. So I'm sensing the baby might be hungry and it's like a four alarm fire. I get into position. I get the baby into position. I get the pillow. I call my husband. I call my mom. We need a syringe. We need a nipple shield. We need the bottle with the string that you put the here and then every. There are like eight hands on my boob and baby to try to get this baby to eat. Everyone's helping me. The only person my dad like refused to be part of the the mayhem, so he would leave the room. But my mom, my husband, me, we're all blah, all hands on deck, so to speak. You know, sometimes we could get him to eat, and sometimes we couldn't. But it was just this total nightmare. And in the end, I basically would have to feed him and then pump because I couldn't be sure he was really eating enough, not necessarily to survive because maybe he was eating enough to be okay because they eat so little at that point. You know, he's only like a week or two weeks old. But I needed to keep my supply up because I started becoming really paranoid that I was going to dry up because he wasn't really eating. And I was spending literally all day either fighting with my newborn or pumping with the breast pump. I was so miserable. I did so many things to try to get Will to successfully breastfeed. I ended up at the special breastfeeding doctor. I had a syringe full of sugar water called Sweeties. I had a syringe full of breast milk. I had a nipple shield. I had this bottle with a tube attached to it that you feed into your nipple shield or you, or you tape onto your nipple to give the baby like a supplement. But the supplement was my breast milk, but it was still like to get it to come out faster. It was insane. I was, I was a cyborg. I was a cyborg mom. Sarah was totally unprepared for this. She had prepared for the medicalization of birth. That she was fully prepared to fight. And she won. She gave birth to a nine and a half pound baby vaginally and spontaneously. She was not prepared for the medicalization of breastfeeding. She didn't even know that was possible. I mean, I knew a breast pump was supposed to be, you know, helping moms go back to work. I did not know that the whole lactation consultant thing was not really about nurturing your natural body to help you and your baby form a connection just so you could breastfeed him, but really a medical intervention. And to me, the fact that I was within minutes, no one helped me position him or nurture him or talk to him or, you know, do anything that you might have done that would be like a grandma might do, you know. It was all like, here, fix your nipple. Here, fix your baby's suck reflex. Here's some plastic and some sugar to help you breastfeed properly. Cut to scene of me pumping breast milk into bottles for my baby and everyone congratulating me, guess what? Breastfeeding is not a natural process. Breastfeeding is a medicalized process about getting your milk into your baby's stomach because doctors have decided that it's healthier for the baby. So we've completely short-circuited anything about breastfeeding being about a mother and a baby. But yeah, my baby has only had breast milk. He had breast milk exclusively for six and a half months, but not from my breasts. You were really armed to struggle against the medicalization of childbirth, but you were not prepared to struggle against the medicalization of breastfeeding. And so they won. 
I put down my I put down my my sword and they won. While Sarah solved the problems she encountered by exclusively pumping, our next two guests took a different path to solve their problems. The similarities in their stories are striking. Both new moms are nurses, both returned to work shortly after their children were born, and both encountered difficulties they had never anticipated. Claire Chambers always assumed she would breastfeed. It's really good for their hearing development, it's really good for their vision, it's good for their gut flora, it's good for pretty much everything. (laughs) It sets them up for lifelong health and also um, helps decrease chances of being obese as well, which is becoming a larger issue. If your child is sick, your breast milk actually makes antibodies to help them be, be better. In reality, though, as a working mother, she found breastfeeding to be a real struggle. But it never occurred to her not to stick with it. She talks about why. Breastfeeding was a pretty beautiful moment for us starting out because I was in the delivery room and I made it very clear to them that I wanted Jack to be placed right on my bare chest right after he was born. And they put him on my chest, and within probably 15 minutes, he kind of wiggled his way to the breast and started breastfeeding within the first half hour of being born. He just kind of crawled over and latched on, and I, I remember looking at my husband and saying, look, look, he, he's doing it, you know? Um, so that was pretty special. I thought going into it, even being a nurse and seeing, you know, mom's breastfeed, that it was just going to be kind of one of those natural, instinctual things, and especially with him seeming to be so easy to go to the breast right away and not have any trouble, I thought, oh, this will be so easy. This is going to be so great. You know, I won't have to wash any bottles. There's not going to be any downside. Um, but we actually had some some struggles. <laughs> he only wanted to latch on the right side. He did not want to latch on the left. So actually for three months, I had to use a nipple shield on the left side in order to get him to breastfeed. Was anyone able to explain why that was going on? They said it could possibly be because sometimes the left breast produces more milk than the right breast if it has more like milk ducts in it. And they thought maybe the letdown was a little bit stronger in the left side and that it was a little bit overwhelming for him when he was first born because after he got a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger, the left actually became his favorite. When Claire refers to letdown, she's talking about the letdown reflex that makes the milk in your breast squirt out so that it's available to your baby. People picture breastfeeding as sort of like a cow, you know, for lack of a better term, is when you milk it, you know, the milk's already there and it just starts squirting out. Um, Where the baby suckling at the beginning, they're not really getting any milk. They're just sort of telling the breast, hey, you know, I'm ready to eat. Let's, Let's make some milk. Some women have a very uncomfortable sensation when they let down. I didn't have that. I just, but I could, I could tell it. It was almost like pressure was building up, and then it was just sort of all releasing, where the milk doesn't start until a couple of minutes after. Maybe it's a lot harder than I thought it would be. I feel like, you know, embarrassingly, I was sometimes a little judgmental of moms that didn't want to breastfeed because I thought, well, why wouldn't you want to do, you know, what's best for your baby? Describe some of the difficulties. The biggest thing for me was sleep deprivation. That um, was very, very hard because, you know, there's no, you know, pushing your partner in the middle of the night and saying, hey, you go feed the baby this time, you know, because they don't have, they don't have the breast milk. So that was hard being the one, you know, every hour sometimes in the, in the night and waking up and breastfeeding. Your body is very tired because, you know, you're losing a lot of calories through your breast milk. 
So you're exhausted from not getting sleep, and then you're exhausted because you're burning all these calories. People think that women have to eat more food when they're pregnant. When they're breastfeeding, they need way more food because you're not just sustaining, you know, first a one-pound fetus, a two-pound fetus, a four-pound fetus. You're sustaining a growing baby. Not only was I breastfeeding him constantly, but whenever he wasn't breastfeeding, I was pumping. So I felt like all I was doing was sitting and just pumping out milk or nursing, and it's, it's a lot. I mean, I'm a nurse. You know, I'm used to working 12-hour shifts. I worked night shift for several years, and that's really hard, you know, because you're on your feet and people need things all the time, but nothing compared to having a newborn. It also makes you sympathetic to moms who have to go back to work right away and don't oh, have yeah. flexible schedules. No, I think that's extremely challenging, and I'm very sympathetic to that because you miss out on a lot of things, and um, I don't think that Jack and I would still be breastfeeding if I had had to go back right away because he didn't want to take a bottle when I started going back to work. And that was also very anxiety-producing for me because, he, you know, I was used to him wanting to eat, you know, every every couple of hours. And then when, you know, I started trying to go back to work, I think the first day he didn't take a bottle for like the first six hours I was gone. So that's always kind of scary because they tell you if you're going to breastfeed, don't give your child, you know, a binky because that could change their latch and disrupt your breastfeeding. So you're getting a lot of information from a lot of different medical sources, and then you're also getting a lot of different information from your family. Let's talk about the real pleasures of breastfeeding. I, it's, I feel like it's given us a very special bond, um, and I think it's, it's really been good for him developmentally. Because you are, you know, you're skin to skin. He doesn't get sick very often. I'd like to, to hope that it has helped his immune system quite a bit. And there's nothing quite to describe it when your child, you know, is breastfeeding and they're right next to you and you feel like you are providing what they need. The fact that, like, you're making it with your own body and then they are consuming it, and then they fall asleep on you, and they are, make those cute little cooing sounds, and they're just all cuddled up and warm, you know, in the safety of your chest and sleeping. Um, it's a very special moment. I've heard people say that when you uh, breastfeed your child for too long, they become more clingy. But studies show just the opposite. Breastfed children are the most secure children around because they get they have their needs met. Yes. Other moms not knowing, you know, that he's still breastfeeding, just moms that, like, I see at the park are like, oh, he's so happy. He's so outgoing. He's very talkative. He'll walk right up to a child and say hi. You know, he'll give people hugs. As long as he can see where I am, he doesn't need to, you know, have a hold of my pant leg. I would definitely disagree with anybody that would say that breastfeeding has any negative effect on a child at all because— that's just how we're made. All studies show that the support of the baby's father for breastfeeding is very important. So is your husband enthusiastic about breastfeeding? He is a wonderful father, and he is a wonderful husband. We could not have—I could not have a better support system than Corey. I can definitely see how the support from the dad or whoever, whatever support person you have, is very important. You know, because you're sitting there with a baby to attach to you most of the day. So it's you, you kind of have to have somebody there that's willing to, you know, make you a sandwich or, you know, take care of the bills or whatever else needs to be done that you can't do while you're breastfeeding. Because for a while, it felt like that's all I did was breastfeed. As a nurse, Claire now talks to women about breastfeeding all the time. 
I tell new moms, you know, this is hard, but it gets, it does get easier. You know, it, it really is kind of like riding a bike. You know, it's really, really hard at first when you're trying to find your balance, but then once you guys get in a rhythm, it's like second nature. I am sad when I see moms get down on themselves for n- not breastfeeding for what they think is long enough. So I always try to emphasize for women, even if you just breastfeed once, even if you just breastfeed for a week, you know, even if you just breastfeed for a month, that is going to give your child, you know, a wealth of benefits because any breastfeeding is beneficial. And if for some reason you can't breastfeed, that doesn't make you, you know, an inadequate or a bad mom. Like Claire, Lauren Hill ran into difficulties. And like Sarah, before she had her daughter, she thought she was an expert on new motherhood. I kind of thought it was just going to come natural and I wasn't going to be stressed about it. So I didn't like prepare myself. I didn't take classes because I thought, well, I teach it and I'm, and, you know, I'm around it all the time. She had taught breastfeeding at the hospital where she worked, so she didn't anticipate any problems. But I didn't take one-on-one classes where I was taught about breastfeeding for myself. Things were really rocky at the beginning. My daughter was tongue-tied and lip-tied. Her frenulum, the part that connects your upper lip to your gum line, and then the frenulum under her tongue, which connects your tongue to your jaw, was longer than normal. So her tongue should extend out past where her teeth would be, or the lower jaw. And the upper lip kind of flanges out to create suction on the breast. My daughter, her lip would, would suck in when she latched, and her tongue couldn't protrude out. A lot of people don't realize that when babies latch onto a breast properly, their tongue is actually underneath. They're taking as large a part of the breast into their mouth as possible so it doesn't hurt the mother. If it was just the nipple, it would be very painful. Correct. Well, she was gaining enough weight to not concern my pediatrician, but I was in pain. She was almost eight weeks. So we were eight weeks, I was in pain the entire time. And and she was very irritable. She nursing was not um, calming for her, and so she had to work really really hard, which led her to getting really really tired middle of the feed. And I don't think she ever really finished a feed those first initial weeks. When I was stressed and irritable, she could sense that, and she was stressed and irritable. That nursing became shorter and shorter and shorter. And when I say shorter, I mean she started out as a newborn latching on and trying to nurse for probably 45 minutes. And at this point, at 8 or 10 weeks old, she was only nursing for like five minutes at a time, which was concerning to me. I ended up getting mastitis, which is when the baby's not removing the milk that you're making in that breast, then the milk is staying in your breast and you become engorged, you can get an infection in your breast. So that's what I have. The first time I had it, they put me on a round of antibiotics. I didn't know what I had. I didn't present with a large red sore on my breast, lump on my breast, but I had a fever, body aches, and a really weird symptom I have every time I have mastitis is a cough. So um, I had body aches, fever, and a cough. Avery ended up having a tongue and a lip tie laser um, treatment in Dayton. However, I would chronically get mastitis probably about once every month, every other month. It was about four to six weeks I would get it. Um, Even after the laser treatment that Avery had on her tongue and lip tie, it did did help us. Um, We ended up having to use a nipple shield, kind of brings your nipple into a point, makes it easier for the baby to latch on. I started using that when she was about 10 weeks old. We used it until she was four months old. 
and then had to start doing prophylactic antibiotics so I wouldn't get mastitis. I still did get mastitis, but not not as much after that. You are you are really listing a litany here of, of <laughs> problems. Oh yes, but you but you persisted. What made you persist through all these problems? Because a lot of people just would have given up. When all these problems became present, I was not worried about myself anymore. I just wanted to be able to breastfeed my daughter for her benefit. So I was thinking, okay, I just have to get to six months. I just need to get to six months. Then after six months, it became a lot easier. Um, I think she got just her anatomy changed. She was able to latch on better. We were able to stop using the um, nipple shield, which in itself was a huge accomplishment because the nipple shield's great. It does help. Um, it helps women with inverted nipples. Mine were not inverted. However, my daughter still couldn't latch on with her issue, so it helped her latch. But however, you know, you, you use this piece of equipment, you have to, if it falls off, you have to wash it. You have to keep it clean. It just start. You have to make sure it's adhering to your breast. It becomes somewhat stressful at times. So you know, when I became able to stop using that at six months, it felt so much easier and so natural. I think a big part of that too is, um, as a first-time mother, you just want to do everything that you can for your child. You want to be the best mom you can be. And so, even when things are going super well with breastfeeding, and I noticed this as a nurse at the hospital. Mothers are concerned it's not enough. You'll always be concerned your baby's not getting enough. Once that moment clicked that we were nursing and we were a team and things were going well, finally, it was like this huge weight off my shoulders and a big sense of accomplishment, you know, that we persisted through this really difficult journey. My husband tried at the very beginning to say, let's just go get some formula and I'll feed her a bottle and we can just, we can worry about this problem later. But I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to backtrack. When he said that to me at the beginning, it, it just, it almost hurt. It just stressed me out even more. Lauren was the first in her group of friends to have a baby, so there was no peer she could turn to for advice. She had to do a lot of firsts on her own. I've nursed my child in public, and at the beginning I was so nervous about that. Like, I'm a very modest person. I, I would never judge another woman for nursing her child, but I was worried about being judged at the beginning. I actually never have had a negative comment. I've had people encourage me or say, I, I really am glad that you're doing that, and this should be the new normal. And so I've, oh, I've had a very positive experience with nursing in public. Breastfeeding helped Lauren with many aspects of mothering. If she was upset or having a bad day, that's something that would bring her spirits up and bring me back down to a medium. You know, it's very calming. I can be very stressed out. I can come home from a 12-hour shift and terrible things could have happened at work all day. And I get home and I take a shower and then get her ready for bed and she nurses and everything's, everything's okay again. When Lauren was having problems with breastfeeding early on, her pediatrician suggested that she just switch to formula. Lauren is glad she didn't, and she urges other mothers who have problems breastfeeding to see a good lactation consultant instead of a doctor. Very few doctors have any breastfeeding training. I just really want to encourage any woman that's listening to this or any mothers, first-time mothers or first-time breastfeeders that haven't went through this experience to know that there might be challenges in the future, but it's all worth it in the end. And you can persist through these things with the right resources and the right education in a safe manner to do what's best for your baby.
I talked to Lauren's lactation consultant, Michelle Biddlestone, who works with both Claire and Lauren. When she was a young mother decades ago, she found breastfeeding a pleasurable breeze. She helps us understand why mothers today, in contrast with her own experience, are running into so many avoidable problems. I think a lot about the medicalization of birth, and does that set women up for mistrusting or distrusting their body's ability to carry a pregnancy, to give birth, um, and then to nurture their babies? Is, is it just a continuum of what starts as soon as they become pregnant that, you know, everything is you need to make these milestones and you can't gain weight and we need to do tests for this and we need to do ultrasounds and we need to do all this stuff to make sure you're having a good you know, pregnancy and that the baby's okay and then finally you get to the day of birth and you have your baby and then you have to feed your baby. And so it puts into question, okay, is my body really designed to do this? And our bodies are. And But then there's the culture of blogging and all the information on the internet and and it's almost like there's too much information and there's the intellect, intellectualization of what is a natural process? And even though we need to learn to breastfeed our babies, I think sometimes we overthink it. A mother goes into learning to breastfeed with all these fears, like, I don't want to have sore nipples, and I don't want to get engorged, and I don't want to get mastitis, and, you know, all those things can happen, you know, when there's a ways to solve those problems, but it's almost like we're set up to have the problems because we think about it so much. My mother did not breastfeed me. She did not breastfeed my sister. I didn't see breastfeeding. It wasn't something that I had observed as a child and a young woman growing up. I think my baby was two months old before I went to La Leche League, and it was just this, oh, I'm amongst women who have experienced what I have experienced. And I can ask these questions and get answers from many women. And I was amongst women who had more knowledge than me and, and more wisdom. And it really made a difference in me trust, of being able to trust what was happening was okay. We need to support one another because if we haven't grown up with it, you know, we don't really know what's normal. There's perceptions of insufficient milk, and so that undermines their confidence and their ability to feed their babies. We really need to build a woman's confidence in her ability to provide milk for her baby and that she can overcome the difficulties, and they don't need to be insurmountable. They can be solved. Her milk cannot be replaced by you know, an artificial milk that may just provide the calories. Her milk is always going to have the emulological factors and the antibodies and anti-inflammatory components. You know, you can't put into formula what is in her milk. You're a lactation consultant, so you're constantly dealing with women's doubts, women having problems, women not having enough milk. But I wonder, it, intuitively, it just makes no sense to me. Humans are overpopulating every corner of the planet. And the reason we were able to do that is because we are so uniquely successful at being able to bring our baby's food with us. The reason we're such a successful species is because our breasts work really well. So I'm just wondering how 
much of this is cultural perception? I know that's an impossible question to answer, but how much of this is cultural perception and how much of this is real? So much of it is about confidence and and trusting that your body can do it. And even if there are problems, I think moms are much more apt to work through them. And professionally, I have to weigh that all the time because I am presented with these situations where a baby's not gaining. And I have to figure out, is it the mom? Is it the baby? Is it what's happening together? And what do we need to do until we get it working. It was Lauren that talked about her coming into my office, and it was like three weeks later, and, you know, she was getting pressure that her baby was gaining slowly, and so I said, okay, does the baby have enough wet diapers? Is the baby gaining? We weighed the baby she fed. We weighed the baby again, and the baby was transferring plenty of milk, you know, and so it was It was these messages that she was getting and internalizing, and then it was affecting her confidence, and and her baby was doing fine, but she just needed to see it. She needed to be, you know, she needed to be validated um, that it would work out, and um, and it did. But she was willing to persist. She also sought help, and not all women seek help, you know. So they may go home, and you know, they run into problems. They go to the pediatrician, and the baby's not gaining well, and so they inter- say, "Oh, well, you can just introduce formula," and that happens. That that commonly happens. And it's scary to hear that your baby's not gaining enough weight. I have four children. I breastfed all of them. And I loved breastfeeding and my children loved breastfeeding. And so for me professionally to see moms with problems and thinking, oh, I can't do this anymore. It's like, I have to get out of the place where it was so easy for me and so very pleasurable to help mothers where they are to get them to the place where it is pleasurable. Because when you are having problems, you're just focused on the problems. Enjoy the experience instead of getting hung up about how long and what are people going to think and what am I going to do when I go out out in public and you know all these things, that, these pressures that we put on ourselves. In so many ways, some of the things you just listed, it, it is so antithetical to American culture. We think about scheduling and time. That's such a big thing in American culture. Um, it's the sexualization of breasts. What do I do if I go out with the baby? Um, whereas in other cultures, oh my goodness, women just lift up their shirts and no one, no one even glances at them. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's, it also speaks to how cultures make it even more uncomfortable and difficult for women. So there are all kinds of reasons why, why people might think of it as hard. Our bodies have social meaning, and it makes a function like lactation all the more problematic. I remember when I had my daughter, I just thought, oh, my goodness, human babies require way more care than just two adults can give them. It takes, it takes way more people than that to take care of one human baby. And I think that that's another problem is that we live now in nuclear families rather than in, you know, much larger villages where people feel much freer um, to go in and out of each, each other's dwellings. And um, that, too, when, when breastfeeding becomes privatized, it just becomes mm-hmm. more difficult. Yeah. And then there is this generation of um, women that did not breastfeed. And so my mother did not. It was not encouraged. And so, you know, so I didn't learn that from my mother. And so there's this period of time when breastfeeding was not encouraged. And so it wasn't passed on. And so my mother didn't know how to support me. My my mother-in-law didn't know how to support me. 
my role model was my best friend who had had four children before I had my daughter. And so it didn't matter what my mother-in-law said because my role model was my friend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So things like that make such a difference. They do. The medical community is now recognizing the importance of breastfeeding, but it's been a long time getting here. Formula-fed babies are sick more often and sick more seriously than breastfed babies. Babies who are breastfed have fewer respiratory infections, fewer middle ear infections, and less gastrointestinal upset than formula-fed babies. And scientists and physicians are just beginning to understand that how we are fed as infants shapes our lifelong health. Babies who are breastfed are less likely than formula-fed babies to be obese when they enter elementary school, less likely to suffer from type 1 or type 2 diabetes, less likely to have childhood cancers, and less likely to suffer from heart disease as adults. There are all kinds of reasons why society should offer more and better supports to the new mothers who want to breastfeed. Thank you for listening to Lifespan. Lifespan is a production of WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our executive producer and audio engineer. I'm your host and executive producer, Jackie Wolf, professor of social medicine at Ohio University. For more information about Lifespan, go to woub.org slash listen.